You're listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live, with your hosts, Eric Provoznik, Jim Culver, Marty Zamora, and Christine Leninger. This is Lars Walker. You're listening to All Over the Place, where the fun sanity never ends. Hello and welcome back to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. I'm your host, Eric Provoznik, and welcome back as well, Jim Jim Culver, how are you? I'm excellent, sir. How about yourself? Awesome. Life is good, even though I had. I don't. Uh, I. I uh, it's the melancholy things. I, I had to run a uh, an assistant coach tonight, which took time away from the kids playing baseball. Mm. But you know, got to do what you got to do. So yeah. And also, Christine Leninger. Hello, hello. And tonight, Mar- Marty not joining us this evening. He's still coming down, as we discussed on the last show. I think it was brought up. He is. Uh, he and his uh, lovely wife Nicole are on a an Alaskan cruise, and they're they're still getting their their uh, their regular land legs back. So uh, the Marty should be back with us next week. And with us tonight, we've got with us an author, a columnist, a guy with numerous publications and think tanks to his credit. And he's also an accidental college graduate. Please welcome to the show, Jeremy Lott. Jeremy, thanks for joining us here on AOTP. So happy to be here. Very cool. Is, is, is that is that a Hawaiian lay we've got uh, sporting there? Yeah, it's a lay. It's party time. Party time yeah. here on all over the place, folks. And you can only see if you're if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll understand that reference. But just play along with us on, on all the uh, audio platforms. So Jeremy is with us. He's, we're going to be talking about a uh, new, new book. Actually, a pair of books he's got out. Uh, first one, is, or the uh, most recent one, is Growly Locks and the Three Humans. A bit of a play on Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Jeremy, tell us how this book came about. What's the story? Yeah, uh, so I've always had... Uh, I, well, I think probably George W. Bush inspired this book accidentally. Um, where the I, I've always hated golden mean arguments. But the thing that finally crystallized it was when he was talking about his tax cut package. And he said... Some people say my tax cut package is too big. Some people say that it's too small, but I say it's just right. And I, I threw something uh, when, when I heard that. And uh, uh, no, like th- that's not how arguments work. Stop. Uh, and, and so I've always hated golden mean arguments. And, you know, the, the thing that gives us the frame for a golden mean argument, at least the most popular one, is Goldilocks, right? And, and I thought, well, what if it was the other way around and, you know, you had a, a talking bear walking into a human house and, and, and they were all saying, well, you know, trying to sell the bear on just right. And uh, how would that go? Not very well. Um, and, and so that was the, the impetus for. Well, what, did, what did a golden mean ever do to you? <laughs> You know, it's 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 weird because it would seem plausible because a lot of things you do seek a happy medium. Like this morning when I was taking a shower, it was too cold and then it was too hot. Then I get it just right. You know uh, that there are certain things that that is true for. But but often when you're it, it, it is not universally true. And so when you, um, you know, uh, often you want to pick A or B. You don't want to pick the thing in the middle um, because that ends up getting you nowhere. Um and, and so I, I wanted, you know, to just ridicule this idea uh, and, and tell a fun uh, kid's story while I was at it. So that's what I did. 
it sounds like it's in addition to being kind of an entertaining read it's it's designed to kind of help kids think critically a little bit about these things yeah i mean i'm not a moralistic writer but i do one of the the themes that will come through over and over again is i'm encouraging kids to think uh because i think that is just terribly important and some we could use more of these days Mm. And the other book is, uh, I, I love the little twisting on, on all the, the, the fables through the years, and uh, it's called The Three Feral Pigs and the Vegan Wolf. Yeah. And the, the, and, and the wolf's got an upset stomach in, in the book, and then the three pigs are, you know, just, well, tell, tell us about uh, this one and, and the, the story behind the story yeah. of the three feral pigs. So I, I was, the agitation behind this book was not from me. Uh, I have a father-in-law named Len, and he grew up on a farm, uh, and... Uh, among other things, they raise pigs. And one day he was talking to me about this and he just got off on this rant about how awful pigs are and how, you know, if if uh, you, you ever get like knocked down in a pig pen, you know, like you were in trouble. It, it's bad because they will just start biting you and, and won't stop. And uh, they're just vicious little things. And these are the cute ones in farms. You know, these aren't even like the in javelinas or whatever they're called, you know, like the big tusks that, you know, will gore people. Uh, I, you know, like so pigs, but even farm pigs. But I mean, pigs in nature are often vicious, vicious creatures. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if you know the you flipped the the you know the three little pigs and the big bad wolf and and had the wolf as the one that was afraid, you know? And uh, so the the story is that you you have a, a wolf named Kevin who's just a really lousy hunter and. He, he ends up because uh, you know, wolves what, what they'll do is they'll they'll uh, you know bring down animals together and then the pack will share in it and it's it's not just the few that hunted it's they, they bring it back you know because there aren't that many that go out and hunt right um, and uh, so he feels guilty that he can't you know ever make the kill and so be, as part of that he just decides well I can't eat this and so he he invents his own diet and accidentally ends up becoming a vegan. And the other wolves find out about this and they're like, that's no, get out of our pack. <laughs> uh, so he has to go out and, and, and make his way in the world. And these, these, then these three uh, uh, wild pigs start hunting him. And so it's a story about how he manages to overcome, you know, the, the, the feral pig threat. And that, that kind of reminds me of uh, the, the dog Che on the unfortunately short-lived uh, Good Family show, <laughs> you know, the, the offshoot from, from the, uh, the, the, the world of Mike Judge with uh, John, <clears throat> John Altshore and Dave Krinsky showing. Che wasn't allowed, he, the, his owners were you know, just very chill people and they wanted him to eat nothing but, but vegan food. Yeah. But he shunned them and he went out and tried and chased down all the squirrels in the neighborhood. Yes. No, I mean, you know, the... Uh, animals need to, to eat meat or at least a lot of them do you know um and uh so it, it he very much pays a price for his veganism well what, what's the reaction been from uh, from vegans to this? they've been fortunately chill i think it one of the things that helped is that just as i published this book amazon did this uh addition like a restriction so that you in order to leave a review uh you have you can't just do drive-by reviews anymore Mm -hmm. uh, it's you don't necessarily have to buy the book, but it helps. But but you have to have bought X number, like a bunch of books, 
like a I don't know what the number is, but let's say it's twenty or something on Amazon. And so uh, I, I've avoided drive-by, uh, you know, veganing uh, as a result of that. Um, you know, but the the few vegans that I know that have read it have realized that it's in, you know I'm not being vicious toward them. Uh, you know, he, he comes by his veganism honestly, and uh, um, you know, it's 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 not it's necessarily ridiculing them. It's just a you know, what would happen if a wolf decided that he, he couldn't eat meat? If we can't laugh at ourselves, who can we laugh at? I know. So thus far, no one has called the vegan police from Scott Pilgrim on you yet? Yeah, not not just yet, you know, but uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I'm ready for it. Bring it on, vegans. That's one of my favorite movie scenes, by the way. I don't even like the movie, but I, I think that scene is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, Scott Pilgrim is one of these things that the whole whole of it is not great, but but some of the parts are pretty good. Yeah, agreed. And as as I mentioned at, at the start of the show, you know, you've got you you've worked with a lot of uh, different publications and and think tanks. Why why the uh, pretty much uh, one eighty going the kids book route? Well, so I um, w- let's see, two thousand two two thousand three, something like that. I moved out to DC and I spent seven years here. Uh, I'm here right now, actually, um, uh, on on a visit. Um, and uh, I, I, I try, you know, I wanted to put away my childish things. I I stopped with my comic books and all that other stuff, and you know, tried to uh, be a very serious person in our nation's capital. And uh, I, I, you know, about halfway, I don't even think it was halfway through, a quarter of the way through, I just said, "This sucks." Um, and uh, I, I. Uh, uh, decided that, you know, uh, a lot of people in D.C. are full of garbage, uh, obviously. That's a given. But, um, you know, in addition to that, uh, I, I I just I realized that I, I you know, taken an important part of myself and, and tossed it for no reason. And so I picked it back up and I moved back to Washington State and uh, I've been pretty happy. And, you know, so uh, as I started reading a lot more comics and and had a couple kids and was reading them kids books i said i can do this so you know there you go and i gotta get published then jeremy or like how'd you how'd you get it done where'd you i mean all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like i'm gonna write a children's book yeah well i wrote so i wrote uh i you know i've I've had a, a lot of experience with comic people i i have a a publisher that we brought out an issue of a comic book called movie men um, and I've got, I'm not joking, seven other comic books that are all the artists done on. And it's someday I will release them. These are not other issues of movie, man, though. I do have an is- another issue of that ready to go, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I was in that space. And, and the, the, the comic book market is not great right now. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it's not, it's also not well developed through Amazon. Uh, like I, I've seen what you know Amazon print on demand for comic books looks like. It's not very good. I've ordered them. They often come in really lousy shape. But Amazon has figured out more or less how to do the print on demand thing for children's books. So I said, well, there's a market for it, like a significant market. And so I said, well, why don't I just shift over there? I've got people who are really good at art, and it's children's books in some ways are easier because. If you look at the number of panels from 
for a comic book versus a kid's book, it's far fewer panels in the, the kid's books, right? So, you know, it's probably the equivalent of, I don't know, let's say five comic book pages worth of panels for in one children's book. Um, and so I was able to go to several of them and say, you know, how about it? And, you know, they know me, they know that I, I, I don't pay great, but I pay on time and, and, you know, respect their art and, and, uh, generally an easygoing person to work with. And so I was able to get, uh, Paula Ritchie is the, the, uh, the artist of, uh, the first two books and they're, uh, Doug Curtis, who been with me is going to be doing other ones and there are some other artists that I'm, I'm getting into the game with the kids book game with me as well oh so you're going to be switching up the artists huh well yeah well i'm going to so these are part of a series called fantastic fables and i at least for the foreseeable paula who's a dream to work with i will keep working with her on those books, but I've written other children's books mm. that are in slightly different, you know, a vein or, uh, and I'll work with other authors, sorry, other um, artists on those books. So, yeah, I mean, Paul is the artist on this series, but there will be other one-offs and other series. Got it. Okay. And how did you come to work with Paula? So I, you know, knew her through the comic book world. And she has done, uh, she wrote a, a novel as well, and she's very versatile. And what I didn't realize when I signed her up to do this is that she hadn't done the art, solo art on any one book before. And uh, so it was a real learning experience for her to go through Growlylocks. And, um, you know, she's learned a lot and she's gotten them a whole lot better. And I really love uh, when you can see real improvement from one book to the next and you always can with Paula. And so that's wonderful. She also, in order to keep it interesting, she creates all these like weird and interesting backstories for the characters. Um, and I only very occasionally have to step in and say no. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, she's, you know, like any, any they're in the first uh, in growly locks, right. I said that, you know, they need to be in the little middle of a small town. And she decided that town needed a comic shop that was lots of comics. And so she just included that in there. And I, I loved that, you know. And uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I always wonder about that when I read something like a comic book or a, a children's book that's very visually uh, heavy. Like how much is, is the balance in terms of creativity between the writer and the artist, like how, how many, how many, how much liberties can can an artist take with a story in that in that kind of uh, yeah? I mean, story? It, it depends on you know how adventurous both the writer and editor are, and and how much of a tyrant the the editor is. Uh, I'm not much of a tyrant. Um, there there is a a, uh, a a comic book that you know it's done, but again, it'll be a little while in the offing. Uh, called uh, Mega Humans Go to War. That I wrote and Sean Langley is the artist on that and there was one page where this uh, guy named Captain Chicken Legs uh, is he kicks down a door and uh, you know he, he sent me the uh, early art on it I said well this is good but uh, I there's supposed to be two guys on the other side of that door and there's three and that kind of matters because you know uh, how he interacts with them in the next couple pages and he looks back at the script and he goes, "Ah, oh, shoot, you're right." And he goes, "Well, what if the door just kills one of them?" 
<laughs> How hard did he kick it? Holy cow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I said, okay. And so, he, you know, he wicked witches of the Easter West. I can't remember which one had a house dropped on her, but he did that to this uh, this character. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty funny. There, there's definitely, there's a lot of interplay. And, you know, you can... I, I'm very much of the opinion that as long as it's serving the story, uh, you know, I'll give the artist as much leeway as as I can, you know, as long as it's it's making it better, as long as it's adding, as long as it's, uh, you know, making it more entertaining and interesting, you know, fly away. I don't care. So your, your kids, it seemed like, were, were your first, the first inspiration for things. And how, how much input uh, did they give you in move, moving mean, the stories along? So I, it, it, it's varied, but uh, I'll read the stories to them before, usually before I have them illustrated. And, you know, I'll get some feedback. And so my, I have two children. Um, my daughter, Sparrow, is four, and my uh, son, Augie Augustine, is two. And Sparrow's a little more, more into it, but Augie will sit and sit through it to an extent. He likes it. He likes the finished product a little better so because <laughs> they can show him the pictures. Um, and you know, uh, Sparrow is a very honest critic. If she does, there's things that she doesn't understand or she doesn't like, she'll tell me. Um, but it, it, it's usually been a, a positive experience with, you know, she usually likes the stories that I have to tell. And test audiences. Have you taken them to uh, Sparrow's? preschool or things like that for, for story time. And these have been read at preschools and, and that sort of thing. I haven't done that. Uh, there, there's a longer, uh, uh, like a chapter book that I wrote that I tried out uh, on a, a class full of fourth graders over two different uh, afternoons after uh, lunch, mm -hmm. which is an interesting time of the day. Um, and uh, I, it, it really, it, they were with me the whole time. And so it's that that's actually that's a book called Princess Sparrow and the Three Gifts that I'll publish at some point here. So I'm actually writing the the one of the two sequels to that right now. Princess Sparrow, know your test audience. That's right. <laughs> I actually started writing it before she was born because um, I had been working on all these comics and my, and my wife said, uh, you know, hey, so it's a girl because I was away at a conference. And what do we name her? And I said, well, you've already named her. Because you know how women, a lot of times, they'll come up with like a generic name, like for the baby, like my, my little bean or, you know, whatever. She called it my little sparrow. And I, I said, you already named her sparrow. It's a girl. It fits. Let's go with that. Done. And so she said, uh, okay. And I, so I was talking to some colleagues and, and, and they said, okay so you're writing a lot of comic books but do you have any like kids books that a little girl might like and i said no i don't and i gotta go fix that <laughs> um and so then i went and started writing princess sparrow and the three gifts and had it done before she was born well i hope there's a prince augustine book coming so there's no uh, unfair competition yeah the I'll, I'll see what i can do <laughs> i got i got a my i have a niece and a nephew named uh uh ollie and um uh, Laney and I, I introduced two characters named that in the series as well. Keeping it in the family, I like it. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, I don't know. There's there's a lot of I like telling these stories and, and I like what I'm learning when I'm telling these stories. And uh, yeah, like I, I it wasn't until I was you know close to 40 that I could even do dialogue. There was just something that didn't click in my brain. You know, you, you I'm sure you've all had that where you're just blocked on something and you just you're beating your head against the wall and the wall is winning. Right. Um, and finally, there was a, a comic book I was writing, trying to write. And um, I one of the characters swore. And and he, he he swore in a way that I don't swear, and I wouldn't change it. And I said, wait 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 no 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 that's not a good idea because he is he is speaking in a way that you view as distinct from yourself, and that means you're making progress. You leave that in. So um, uh, that wasn't a kids book, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was that they finally you know uh, let me realize that you know I I can. Disattach myself from the characters enough to let them have their own voices. Yeah, one of a, a long list of criticisms I would make to modern comics is that quite often every character in the book has the same voice, and it it really uh, reveals a lack of imagination on the writer's part when that happens. Uh, oh yeah, it's awful. I mean, yeah. the you, you, and the other thing is that when you have these like legacy characters that that historically spoke in a certain way. You know, uh, and then all of a sudden they just speak like the millennial writer who's, or I don't know, something like that, who's writing them instead. I, it just it doesn't work for me. Right. And I'm seeing a lot of that in, in Hollywood screenwriting as well. You, you, you basically will see, you know, um, you can see a movie with, with a variety of characters, you know, and they're different ages, but they all sound like a Hollywood screenwriter you know, of a certain yeah. age. And, it, you know, it's just, it, it, you wonder what the quality control level is when they can get away with something like that. And and it's very, I feel like it's very condescending toward your audience to to write characters that way. Yeah, no, it, you, you gotta, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know what the solution is. I think that the part of it is that Hollywood's just gonna have to wither and we're gonna have to see other things that bubble up over time. You know, I, I, I was, talking the like there are other countries that have their own film industry like france has a fairly advanced film industry um but they speak in french right um and and britain uh you know it has a film industry but it, it, it they gear most of their stuff towards television really um but you know if you get a, a country with with a you know that that is like an english language country that has its own film industry and that does it well at some point, they could—they're just going to eat Hollywood's lunch. Like I don't—I I don't see any way around that unless Hollywood decides to do better. But uh, you know that I, I'm not seeing a lot of ever that. Um, so I—I I, I hope for it, but uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm a, there's one book I wrote just because I like there's a, a one of my favorite directors is Wes Anderson, right? And I—he does not you know, he writes his own very distinct thing and I, I like what he does. Um, and I actually wrote a book and I, I was probably turning into several books um, that I just want to send to Wes Anderson and say, can you adapt this please? Because <laughs> I, I just, I think he'd do a great job with it. Well, I noticed that new one he's got on Netflix now. What, what is that, Christine? We said it was what, maybe 40 minutes uh, long? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, thirty-nine minutes. Yep. West working quickly, especially after you know it's such a story career. And yeah, yeah. definitely get him in the mail to him. See what he yeah. is. 
So, um, but yeah, so that's my adventures in in uh, children's books so far. And one of the other books that uh, I saw that you had uh, is uh, about the vice presidents. Yes, and the history of vice presidency, and it looks like a very funny book. And I got it. I got to add to the stack of books I've got on my list right now. But what what inspires you to like with vice presidents? Yeah. They, they get short shrift, and so you know, what, what, what inspired you on that one? Yeah, I, I often joke I'm the most living president uh, expert on the vice presidents. Um, the so I, initially, a public I was working with a publisher. They came to me and they said, "Could you write a book on the vice presidents?" And I said, "No." And they said, "Well, well, could you think about it?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll think about it." And I, and and I, you know, just gave it due diligence. And I realized that uh, actually this there's a crazy lot of American history that's tied to the vice presidency. And, you know, one in three, one in three of our presidents were at one point vice presidents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it gives you a one in three shot of the presidency, it, it cannot just be a joke or the butt of jokes. Like this is really ster- and And it's actually that understates its importance because. A lot of times when they even if they weren't the the you know nominee or, or sorry weren't the president they were the nominee of a party you know so the, and that matters uh or you know like richard nixon was on the ballot in you know what so, what 1952 to 1972 i think there was only one presidential ticket that he was not on like that's really? crazy yeah you know uh you know, like that—that's—that's that's a lot of elections where you know he's a, a factor, right? Um, he was the Susan Lucci of politics. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. So it, it's really, really, really important office. Uh, it's underrated, and it's uh, uh, you know it, it's made a huge difference in American history. And uh, it's it, you know a lot of them just kind of sleepwalk their way right into the presidency. But enough about Gerald Ford. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I recently was at. The, there was a um, uh, inside sources. They they like to do these these point counterpoint debate things, right? And they and they, they got a hold of, of me and said, "Could you do a piece for us on the greatness of Gerald Ford?" <laughs> right? And, and I said, "Okay, sure, why not?" Um, and and I said that. The, the you know the if, to the extent that there is any greatness in Ford, it was that he pardoned Nixon, which he has a pretty good argument that in order to accept a pardon you have to admit guilt. So at least he got Nixon to stop lying about his role in this, right? True. And two, he vetoed a ton of bills and managed. He had no, a nothing majority. At least he had there were super majorities of the other party in Congress, and he managed to get all the people of his own party and just enough of people of the other party. That, that would hold together to sustain most of his vetoes. And so he was able to put the brakes on just a ton of legislation. Uh, and so, uh, of course, the title I gave it when I republished it was All the President's Vetoes. <laughs> nice. well, and, uh, over my left shoulder here, we've got a book by Andy Vidopia, which also is a Penn State book, but there's also Michigan books. Twice in one year, I will say something nice about a University of Michigan grad, which Gerald Ford was. There you go. Speaking of Nixon, by the way, uh, I don't know if you know this. Richard Nixon's brother is a college pro- lives up here in Seattle. He's a college professor, at University of Washington. I did not know that. He still he still teaches science a science professor, I, and I, I've met him. He he looks 
very much like his brother. Huh. So when so when I meant it was like meeting meeting an, an elderly Richard Nixon, like an eighty five year old Richard Nixon. It was surreal experience. But Jimmy Ru- might have given me a reason to go to Seattle. <laughs> Sometimes you need one these days, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, really interesting guy. So. Okay. Very cool. And, and uh, speaking of Washington, I'm going to do a throwback to our, our previous show when Jim mentioned that his favorite burger joint is Carl's Jr., which I believe, Jim, if I'm not mistaken, wouldn't that be uh, close to where Jeremy is in Washington? Uh, the closest one I know is in Arlington, which I think is fairly close. And they have one a little further up in, um, uh, what's it called? Bur- uh, Burling- Burlington? Yeah. Burlington. Yeah. Or what yeah. I don't know. North of Mount Vernon, which whatever city that is, Bellingham, Mount Vernon. No, no just just north of Mount Vernon, over the okay. river. Well, Jeremy, right. just very quickly, go a throwback to our previous show about burgers. Well, what's your take on the Carl's Jr.? Uh, it's okay. I, I got nothing against Carl's Jr. Okay. Well, Jim, see now you have two reasons to go up there. There's one where you thought. If, if you, if, I, I would, I would regard that as neutral ground if you want to come meet. So fair enough. I like it. That's fair. <laughs> That was, that was my number one burger joint. We did we did a we did a top three burger joints in our last uh, episode, uh, and that was my pick for number one. So, yeah, I mean, I'm from Linden, where where the small chain Bob's Burgers and Brew originated. So, uh, represent, uh, but um, you know, the uh, Carl's Jr. is good too. All over the place, folks. Where we, we'll we'll talk about previous shows. We you never know what's going to go on here. <laughs> Keeping it topical within the topic, last upon last. Uh, so, Jeremy, uh oh, and we, we we lost we lost Andy's book there. There we go. Oh no! Oh no! No man oh, overboard. So much like much like Landon falling. Um, <laughs> but uh, so uh, aside from the uh, the Princess Sparrow book, any other kids books that are going to be joining the, the fairy tale? Yeah, the, the next one is is called the 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 trouble with golden eggs, um, and I'm having a hard time writing the jacket copy for that because. For the first few books, it's like it's a story that with a, a happy ending, but you know, you know, <laughs> the goose that laid the golden egg. What happened to you know her? So uh, I'm having, I, I do have kind of a a nice ending to it, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to sugarcoat this one or something as, as I'm I'm writing the copy. So I'm digging these re-explorations. I I wish I had kids to give them to. Yeah. Until then, I'll, I'll throw my niece and nephew's way, and they'll just look at me funny. So. <laughs> and I want to get back in with the comic books that you were doing. Uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, Adam Smith comics. And yeah, so, that. Yeah, there. So there's a, a a website called Adam Smith Works. That's that's uh, Li- Liberty Fund is the vehicle behind that. Um, or a, a think tank um, uh, out of Indiana. I want to say. I think that's right. Um, and, uh, I knew the, I know the, there's a, uh, lady who is the editor there and I d- did a book review for him and uh, she knew I was in the comics. And so she got a hold of me and said, her name is Christy, uh, Corbidal. Um, and she got a hold of me and said, Hey, uh, we want Adam Smith comics. Would you like to write those? And I said, I'm listening. And so we went back and forth and we decided these would be one page comics. And we, I got, uh, um, Doug Curtis who's my guy at movie man. I got Paula, uh, Richie and, and I got, uh, it, it, anyways, we, we put together a team that did 10 of these one page comics and, uh, we published them over, I think it was a two month period, something like that. 
Um, and you know, we had a lot of fun. It was what what would happen is is Christy would queue up a um, you know, she here's a quote or from Adam Smith, and I would create a script, you know, either inspired by that or something that sometimes it would just be that, but here are images to go with it or something loosely based on it. And I just had to come up with a bunch of different ideas. And, you know, you, you, uh, Adam Smith, he talked about how science is the great antidote to superstition and whatnot. And so uh, I, Monty Python, right? The, the, you know, she's a witch, burn her, right? So I just re reenacted the same thing, except changed it. So where the night is like, you know, dispelling myths through science, you know? Um, or, or there was, uh, you guys, uh, any, any Hall fans here? I, I'd rather it, it's, it's been a while, but yeah, I, uh, yeah. I did like the movie. Woody's best movie for sure. Yeah, um, there's a moment in that movie where you you got um, Marshall McLuhan, right? There was a professor from Columbia who's holding forth on Marshall McLuhan and his theories of blah blah blah, and um, Woody Allen is not digging it at all, and he just starts saying like, "Can you believe this guy?" You know, but he, with an earshot of this guy, right? And and the professor says, "What happened? To, you know, what? I can't have an opinion. I, I I have I teach you know Marshall McLuhan at Columbia, so I think my theories have lots of validity, right? And and he's like, uh, well, I have Marshall McLuhan right here, and he pulls him out behind a potted, you know, the actual Marshall McLuhan out from behind a potted plant, and and he's like, you know, you know nothing of my work, you know, and and starts like yelling at the guy, and uh, so I." I just we just uh, shifted it a bit. So you have this guy talking about like, oh, this is what Adam Smith had to say on what was it? Uh, uh, antitrust, because some people make the argument that, that Adam Smith was like the, the the father of antitrust. But if you actually look at what he had to say, no. Um, and uh, so you have this guy, you know, saying this and and then somebody, you know, objecting. And then finally she pulls Adam Smith out and he starts, you know, telling the guy, you know, nothing of my economics. So, uh, you know, I just, things like that. I just tried to have fun with it and, uh, you know, we're, we'll be doing more. So we'll do more one pagers and we're going to do stuff based, uh, like more based on the life of Smith. We'll do slightly larger comics on, like he was kidnapped by gypsies when he was three, you know, like, so we'll do a comic on, that and and things like that from his life again all these reimaginations like i'm a big fan of the what if series way back when with the what if so it's like oh yeah i, I, I like the twist things i dig it indeed but my the one that always sticks in my head is what if wolverine was an agent of shield because that was one that was actually drawn by rob leafield oh my gosh it's all coming back to me anyway yeah. Don't get me started on the X-Men, Jeremy. The, the, okay, the, all right. It, it, no, it, it's a good and a bad place to go right now. I just start thinking. <sighs> yeah, no, I, so my Mega Humans Go to War comic is, you know, it's the uh, thing to X-Men where, you know, you have mutations and whatnot. But one of the things I always thought was lame about the X-Men is that they're mutants, but, like, most of them look basically normal, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want them to be look, look like freaks, you know? Like, so you there's... Almost none of them could pass, you know, and uh, Beast, Nightcrawler, and yeah, but, uh, you know, like Jean Grey, you know, yeah, Cy Cyclops, normal. if he has the right shades on, Wolverine mm -hmm. looks like a kind of normal guy, you know, 
uh, I mean, there are freakish looking X Men, but I mean, most of them look normal. Like the Morlocks. I was gonna say they're all Morlocks. Yeah. 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 Basically, yes. Um, it, it, you know, am I telling if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna have mutations, let's really have mutations, you know? Yeah, I always it, felt it, like, like scientifically, uh, most of the most of the mutants in the X Men X Men universe would look more like that than like you know Jean Grey or or yeah. Wolverine, oh, I have wavy, uh, you know, uh, firecracker thing. Or whatever, you know, no. Right. No, I have big claws that'll rake you, you know, or I've got, you know, really long legs that can kick doors in and kill people, or, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it should be. I, and, and that, I look, I'm not saying you can't do the X Men the way they've done them. That's fine. It's just in my way of imagining it, it was just, it, these should be freaks. And so that's where I'm going with that. And, and when you kick down the door, just kill one character. Just, just one. one. Only one. Shouldn't have been I'm a, standing I'm there. A great children's book author. <laughs> I mean, the guy shouldn't have been standing there. It's his fault. That's right. You know. You know? King of the callback strikes again. <laughs> well, Jeremy, Jeremy Lott, definitely love having you on the show. And folks, please be sure to check out Growly Locks and the Three Humans, the Three Feral Pigs, and the Vegan Wolf. You can go to jeremylott.com. That'll take you to a different, uh, all different uh, sites you can go to get these books. Kids' books. Adult books, comic books. Adam, I look forward to reading more of those Adam Smith as one page. I, I love the concept on that. So, Jeremy, thanks for joining us here on All Over the Place. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. If you like what you've been listening to, and you know you have, be sure to share it with friends and family, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever. Content contained herein have been the opinions of the hosts, the producer, and the guests only. You have listened at your own risk.